This episode was brought to you by the Social Fishing Membership, Australia's fastest growing freshwater platform, giving you the resources to catch more fish. Welcome to the Social Fishing Podcast. My name is Reese Creed. I'm a passionate angler and I want to share as much as I can about the sport we all love. On this podcast, we speak to incredible anglers, sharing a wealth of priceless knowledge, all to help you reach your fishing dreams. Thanks for joining us today. Now let's begin. Well, I will say that that was probably the longest setup time I've ever seen for a podcast. Can you please run us through your yep. morning, Dan? No, <laughs> I don't think we've got enough time for that, honestly. <laughs> um, yeah, no, she's been a bit of a setup this morning. It's a bit of a different sort of a thing that we're uh, we're trying to bring to the, the crowd out there. So there was a bit of setup, including me spilling half a cup of coffee on the floor just, uh, just before we're about to kick off, so... Anyway, yeah, here we are. We're away. Awesome. So we are recording this one, which is going to be awesome. Uh, you'll be able to watch it in lots of different places. If you do enjoy the recorded versions, please let us know. But this is all about our Y-Angler trip uh, that we just did. Obviously, it was the team trip, our annual team trip. Can you run us through why and what the purpose of this team trip is? And we're going to get into how special it was, what happened, all the moments, and a few yep. of the lessons from it. But why do we yeah, Why do we cool. do it? Um, mate, Basically, we try and get as many of our contributors together, many of the SF contributors, the guys that write reports and things like that, um, get everyone in the one spot. And by doing that, um, we can create some really, really valuable content on whichever venue we choose to fish. Um, it was Wayangler again after the last year's success. Um, so yeah, got up there, met some new faces, a um, couple of guys that no one else had met before. We all fish in different boats and therefore get to share uh, different information. Um, you know, everyone's got their little intricacies, their little one percenters that they do. And that way we get to share that with one another. You know, boaters, non-boaters sort of thing, all have something to contribute to the trip. And it's really, it's a really cool way to do it. It's really, it's a really fun way and really, really accelerated learning um, when you when you get that sort of, you know, guys are that sort of really good mindset, really sharp, focused minds on fishing, um, and the results just escalate through the trip. It was an awesome trip. Really well, good. we plan it so that we all get to meet. Hey, that's the original. The whole yeah. thing was we have a team. So these are the team that write reports around the country. We've got some up in Tamworth. We've got some all the way down in Gippsland. You know, that's a big, that's yeah. probably the furthest you go. Karen and that are in Bendigo, Karen and Justin. You've obviously got uh, Mawela, Aubrey, all the way through. We're in central New South. So it's a plan to get us all together yep. to sort of meet, catch up yep. because otherwise you don't meet people. And when you when you meet someone face to face, it's 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 completely different to talking to them online. So we're an extended team. But the benefit of yep. actually getting together and catching up is that we can spend a ridiculous amount of hours doing a ridiculous amount of different techniques all in the one area and actually work out such a pattern that it's like accelerated learning, like so yeah. we learned so much from doing Massively. having lures in the water times 14 at the same minute for a session another yep. session another session it's, it reminds me a little bit not that i ever did it but of what you used to tell me about the tournament stuff the tournament yeah. scene yep. and Absolutely. that's why you used to do the yeah, tournament yeah. scene yeah is, is it a little bit different though can you compare it to the tournament is it because I don't, um, I've never done the tournaments. Is it on par, like on par with the tournaments, or oh, a little bit different? No, it's it, it's a little bit different, mate. At the end of the day, in those tournaments, there are prizes. There is a podium, um, so there is a 
you know, guys are, are pretty competitive and there is a limit to how much they will share. Generally pretty good. I used to find, you know, most of the guys are pretty good. If you had something to contribute, obviously that sort of, they would share back information. Um, but I think it was never as specific. So as we sit around camp in, in our situation for Wyangler and share those um, stories and bits of information, there's no detail that's left out. In a tournament scene, you get a more vague sort of a learning. You've right. then got to put more of those pieces together yourself. But this is like accelerated learning off the scale. When you get us, like our team together like that, it's it's epic. It's huge. The campfire chat was good, hey? Like there was, there was moments where so we were good. discussing the intricacies of their behavior and yeah. what happened. And like even yeah. we'll get onto some of the stories later of why people missed fish, caught fish, what was, you know, mm. what was the success. And then everyone sort of absorbs yeah. that to the point where Adam hadn't caught any fish at the start of the trip using mm. last year's technique. And by the end of it, he's like, well, I'm going to have yep. to tweak what I'm doing here. And on the last morning, caught a meter cod yeah, yeah. for himself. Yeah. Mixing up the technique, yeah. exploring and working out what they're actually doing, their behavior on the trip. Uh, so, epic trip. Run us through some of the moments, the funny stuff, the lessons, step-by-step uh, -step kind of what happened. We got there. It was windy and it was poor conditions. Like, the barometer was rubbish. Yeah. We had to just go yep. in the rubbish, which I'm actually really glad the conditions weren't good because it helped us learn a little bit more about how the fish behave when it's not good weather. And you know how we talk about, you know, fish will bite in any weather. There was a massive, distinct, slower bite. And obviously, it's a completely different year. But this year to last year, like last year, they fed way more, I would say, aggressively. The water color was completely different. But I think those cod are used to it in Wyangla. I think it's the fact that we were in pretty poor conditions. We actually had to work harder for the fish, didn't we? Even though we ended up catching bigger fish this year. Yeah, look, I think um, if you're looking from the outside, looking in at the results that we did get for the trip, you'd, you'd look at it and go, wow, Wangler's like fishing its head off. Like these guys cleaned up. But I think I've seen you added up the amount of hours that we put in yeah. um, yep. collectively. And I read that and just went, oh man, like, you know, as an as an individual boat, you, you wouldn't do that in 10 years almost like and it was all compacted into that one weekend and yeah we had some really um challenging uh weather the wind uh, the barometer wasn't great we we're on a bit of an ordinary sort of a moon phase and even personally going in on friday afternoon's results i'm like you know what we are potentially going to do it really tough here friday afternoon um, being no you know, fish for any boat couple no of bumps boat, jake couple and matt Jake and Matt had done a session, two sessions by then. Yep. And hadn't had any results either. And we're sort of saying, you know what, we're really not finding a lot of fish either. So it was looking like, you know, this is going to be hard going. But I think we just sort of soldiered on. We just kept going, kept getting into it. A couple of results started. And the next thing you know, it's like, rightio, we're onto them here. You know, we're going to start seeing some more results. And everyone, you know, everyone had a, a pretty good, um, you know, overall result, really. Yeah, because I thought I really want to know how much, and and the hours are a bit out because some left and some went. So I did actually work that out. I worked out, and it was hard because some people pulled in earlier and out later. And I worked out an hour rate, and then I actually reduced it a bit um, just to get it was a very yep. average. But and pulling it back, it was yeah nineteen hours per fish. That's per fish that stuck. Um, and that was between yep. the whole team. Yeah, okay. Some obviously wasted a lot of time in poor areas, but you could easily do that. I could mm -hmm. easily go, and I did. The whole first morning session with Graham, I was in the wrong spot until I ran into Fletcher, and he goes, no, there was bait everywhere where we were, and I'm like, we just worked this whole section that sucked, 
And then we're like, right, let's get on the move and find some food. We found a bank with bait and then we slowed down and worked it. And it was late bite, but nine o'clock, I landed a meter 15. And then at about quarter to 10, 10 to 10, Graham got an 83 in that same pocket once we found the food source and where the fish were moving around. So it is critical to find food, but there's a couple of really good lessons that we learned. I already knew them, but it really brought back to home how how much cod move, which we'll talk about later on. And obviously, we went into all the details, the depth on where we camped, where we fished, how we fished, the lessons, the look, the whole lot in the trip report that uh, we just published, yeah. which has got so much valuable info, not only for just Wyangler, but for fishing lakes anywhere. Can you run us through the moments? We got out there in the first afternoon. It was windy. It was tough. Uh, it was pretty slow going. The next morning, we actually caught the most fish. We got five fish for the entire trip on our second morning. So we haven't really learnt a heap yet. We knew a lot more on the final morning or on the Sunday than we did on the Saturday morning. But why do you think we actually produced five fish, including three-meter cod on the first morning? Uh, look, I think that's probably coming on the back of um, what was a really, really poor uh, weather pattern. And so that first morning is directly on the back of the change of that weather. Yeah, We sort of woke up you know, 4, 4.30 in the morning and the wind was absolutely howling. At that t- time, it's like, are we even going to get a decent morning session here? It was white capping even across the section that we were camped on. And it was horrible. Luckily enough, by the time we actually got out and sort of sort of got fishing, the sun's, you know, was sort of st- starting to come up. It, the, the, the wind dropped right off. Yeah. And it, all of a sudden, it just felt like we're on here. Like, it just felt good. And like I say, I think I kind of have a theory that if you can jump onto a session on the back of really bad weather, um, you're potentially going to have a good bite because the fish aren't going to be feeding quite so aggressively while the barometer's low, really windy, rubbish conditions. If you get there at the right time when they're sort of ramping up their feeding because they've had a bit of a rest from feeding, you know, potentially you're going to get onto a pretty good bite. And I think that's what we found on that morning session. Yeah, I was going to say, would you agree? Weather, yeah, weather, like weather is the answer yeah. to that morning bite because yeah. I don't know why we didn't actually get onto such good bite. Actually, we got four fish the following morning and the weather was pretty good the following morning as well, but it, it only takes two fish to stick or two fish to hit. Like if you think about that was that following morning that Jake dropped the metery. Um, so it could have been just as good, uh, but I think it was the best weather pattern we had for that morning uh, by far on, on that morning. Um, can you run us through the fish, the two big fish you encountered and actually what happened, where you found them, why, mm-hmm. why that didn't stick and that, those two moments, when was the first one? Uh, the first one was, geez, there was a lot went on that trip. Yeah. Cause there was so the shallow no one. What was the, what was the shallow one that was that the first one that so morning the with Alex was, or was that the second one that you missed? Uh, no, that was... I'm going to say second one yep. with Alex. Yep. Because I was fishing with um, George and Jimmy, I believe, when I caught, when I hooked up to that fish. Was it an afternoon session? Chris. Got it thro- Chris and Chris, Jimmy. Sorry, yes, it was Chris and Jimmy. Yep. Um, three quarters of the way back to the boat. That one there was really quite I haven't actually watched that footage yet. Did you save that footage? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah I have to find sure. it. I was pretty gutted. Yeah, I have to find um, it. You know, I, I got to the point in the fight where it's just about time to start sort of backing the drag. The fish is getting pretty close to the boat, and it just it just fell off. Um, I was I swung well into it. Um, 
I kept tension on. The only thing I sort of think about is the net wasn't quite ready for the fish. Yeah. And so I do wonder if it was a hook set that didn't get into the like past the barb. Yeah. So I may have just slackened just a little bit because you don't want to bring the fish to the surface and having it thrashing around on the surface when your net's not ready. So rather than having the fish on the top, I think I've just slowed down my retrieve, like my fight a little bit. But I, not, not that say much. I give him slack. Not no, not a whole lot. But I know there was a a point where I looked and I thought, you know, the net's not boats like the net's not on deck. I've just slowed down a little bit, and that's pretty much when it's when it's fallen off. And it, there was still bending the rod. There was still tension on the fish. I wasn't just full into him as you are at the start of the fight. Right. So that was a little bit frustrating, really. Um, it happens. I mean, it, it it happens, and it probably potentially would have fallen off either way. So, you know, it, it, I guess now it doesn't really matter, but, um, you know, that was on the back of what's been a pretty tough run for me. When was that? What time of day? Was that Arvo? Like uh, That was getting towards last line. And what were yeah. you doing again? Yep. Did you see the fish up shallow? Because remember you told me the first one, that's vivid, and I want you to explain what happened with that. Sorry, the second one. What happened with the first yeah, one? Yeah, no, no. What were you doing? This one was really different. Um, this one I was actually on the live tech, and because I had Chris on board and he's fairly new to it, and so I was just sort of rolling through so he could see what I was seeing. And he actually commented saying, you know what, that fills me with a lot of confidence that what I have been seeing as a fish and things like that is a fish. So he was really you know, glad to see um, from my point of view, yes, that's actually what he's looking at. Yep. And so we're sort of you know, running through the live tech thing and um, you know, all those little bits and pieces about, you know, the things you've got to do right when you're using that sort of gear. And so I'd seen this fish and it was only sort of running fairly shallow and it was one of those ones where I actually thought to myself, I've run this lure too low and I'm going to hit this fish straight in the head. And then it went bang, crunched it. And it was swimming up high, like, like it was cruising. It was, yeah, the fish was, the fish was actually fairly stable. Like he wasn't moving around a whole lot. Yep. He was just sort of hanging there. And for me, it's like, I'm going to drill this guy straight in the forehead and he's just gone, bang, opened his mouth and eaten it. Did that catch you off guard or you were still ready to strike? Like you were into him? Oh, no. Yeah, no, always ready to strike. I sort of, when I am running that live tech, I'm never in depth, engrossed in the screen. I think I've mentioned before where I actually don't see a lot of my eats happen because I'm quite often on my own or fishing with guys that don't have a lot of boat control. So I was ready for a hit uh, regardless. So... Fish hits, strike into it, and I was—I mean, I was surprised, but I wasn't ill-prepared. Yep. And so, yeah, into the fish, blah blah. The fish has, you know, dived down into him, into him, into him. Look for the neck, oh, you know, and then it's quite not quite there. Just back off a little. The same as what you do when you sort of back a drag off when it gets close to the boat. Yep. Because you don't want to bust off with those big lunges and things, and then just went slack. And I was, yeah, I was actually pretty gutted. I was, yeah, pretty so, upset because it, it would have, it would, it would have been a meter plus fish. So, um, you know, it, it would have been good to be one of those guys who were on the board having caught a fish. Because um, yeah, by that stage there'd been a fair few caught that morning, and I hadn't had a bump until then. So. That was that one. And then um, the other one the other one was fascinating. You told me you were up really shallow, tight to the edge. Actually, I watched the video yep. with you with this one. And what you remember yes. happening, I'm not sure if that's actually what happened when we watched the video back. We could both be wrong. Yep. But run us through exactly yeah, yeah. what happened yep. with the second one the next yep. morning, uh, first light. 
Yeah, and, and I, I think I think you're probably right, and it happens quite a bit where we rewatch our footage um, of what happens, and it's like, oh, it it didn't happen that way. So uh, basically, that was a fish that was up really shallow. It was one of those sort of things where I was fishing with Alex. We'd been fishing a lot of top water, uh, live sonars in the water, but we weren't sort of polling around looking for fish. We're just cruising through. See a lump sort of move through the bottom, go, oh, it could be a fish out there. Yeah. And I don't, I'm not even sure if it was my first or second cast in that sort of direction. And I knew the fish was close to the bottom, so I thought, easy. There's a little bit of wind there too. Yeah. So I thought, you know what, I'm just going to chuck it out, let it sink to the bottom, and I'm going to roll out. Lewis sinks to the bottom, I click, I go maybe half a turn, and just get the slightest little bump. So and it I'm sinks to the bottom, and it was on the bottom head. for a bit, hey, and then you went turn, like you went to wind yep. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a pretty, uh, it probably wasn't really, I wasn't really concentrating on what my lure was doing. Or I was happy to just to send it to the bottom, and then I was going to fish it out from there. Yep. So click, reel goes in, half a turn, just the slightest little tap. I'm like, uh, you know, I better, you know, sort of lift this a little bit because I, th- in my head, I'm thinking it's the lure just clipping a little bit of a stick or yep. a log or something like that. There was a lot of sort of scattered um, stuff along the bottom in this big flat lure fishing. It was only a couple of metres of water. And continue to roll in. I'm like, oh, I've still got weight there. And then the weight kicked. I'm like, <laughs> oh, in, my, in my head, I'm just going, you idiot, you've missed this fish. I struck and I got weight and I went, oh, maybe not. And then it was just gone. So you so you're saying what you're saying is when you when you explain it to me on your back it was that you cast the bottom I watched the footage yep. you were sitting on the bottom for five seconds while you were floating the boat around because a big gust of wind I think that hit you so Lewis just sitting on the bottom mm-hmm. you've wound up the slack and yep. as it's like one half of a crank it's gone tap which you think's a log so you've gone like yep. this to lift and you're like yep. and then it pulled back so you're like oh it's a fish yep. and you went whack and you hit it real hard and you loaded in yep yep fell yep. off so yep. what you're saying is when you wound yep. it the lures jumped off the bottom and he's tapped it and just plucked it and then there's that tap you felt yep. and then you struck do you still think that's what happened yep. uh that's looking back and we watched it a few times there back at camp yep. i'm actually wondering whether that fish had the lure in its gob before I even knew about it. When I think about it, it, like I said, it was windy. It was right on a gust of wind that had come through. So there's a chance that there was slack between the lure and I. Yep. And I've just, I've missed it. I've just, I've missed the eat. And um, like you say, Adam said exactly the same thing and he's pretty switched on sort of an angler. So um, there is a fair chance um, in hindsight that that fish actually ate it uh, on the drop and which is, yeah. Well, because that does happen. They'll yeah. eat it and they'll sit there and they won't know any different because they've just sucked, sucked the back of their throat. But the thing is, I feel yep. one crank of the handle is not enough to really get it off the bottom and the hit might, I, I believe that hit would have been a lot harder that you felt, not just the bump. So I reckon what's happened is the fish yep. has eaten it just on the footage. The footage can always lie as well too. Yeah, but yeah. the fish has eaten it, yep. sat there. It's only because this has happened to me before and you've gone wind and the fish is, you've wound tight to the fish as it's on the move or as it's just kicked its head and you felt that bump, then he's tapped back and then you've struck in and that's why it's just rolled out the corner of his jaw. I've had it happen once before to a more extreme amount. But either way, there's nothing you can really do. As soon I as you feel the fish, you strike. I knew, yeah, I knew I was in trouble straight away. It's, it, it's like a car crash moment, like everything slowed down in that moment <laughs> where it's like, 
you now looking back, it's like as I'm winding into this fish to set the hooks, I'm like, you should have done this five seconds ago. The strike. You've missed the initial. Yeah, you've missed the initial hit. As it started to come tight, I'm like, oh, I'm going to get away with this. Oh, and yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So anyway, that was yeah, that was my two first encounters up there. Um, and what about your moment yeah, of the trip? Anyway. What about your moment of the trip? Because lots of stuff happened. Uh, yeah. What, look, what was the moment for you? Yeah, moment of the trip for me was actually Alex's fish on the Sunday morning. Um, Alex is a... If you ask Alex before a trip, what is your goal? He will say to catch a fish, right? Not on any lure, really humble, not any all, specific nature. No, 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 nothing. He's happy to just catch a fish. And he's a, no, he's a top bloke, really humble sort of fella and... We were sort of fishing away, and I'd say because I'm I'm sticking around, right? So I don't care what time we finish up the day, other than the fact that you don't want to sort of be out there getting cooked all day. Um, so I said to Alex, right, what time do you want to head off? And he's like, oh, you know, I'd like to be on the on the road by lunchtime, yeah, you know, roughly midday type of thing. So like, right, yeah, no worries. And we start sort of running into a couple of fish. He has, you know, we we actually seen some absolute monsters out there, and you know, he banged one right in the forehead. <laughs> Um, you know, one that sort of, you know, a couple of wayward casts sort of thing and he's starting to get a little bit like frustrated. You guys roll up behind us and Tim catches an 80-odd centimetre fish, which we actually seen moving through, but he's sort of gone under our boat. Yeah. Yeah, and so I said to you guys behind, look, there's a fish, you know, heading your way sort of thing. Five minutes later, bang, Tim's onto a fish. (laughs) And as, as happy as Alex is to see someone else catch a fish, I could also sort of feel that he... Could feel the, the the clock sort of ticking away for his sort of results. Well, because we pinched um, half an hour off you where, with that fish, which I shouldn't even hindsight, but I said, "Can you come over, take photos, yeah. take the video for us?" Yeah, blah blah blah. Yeah, um, and then what happened when we let yeah. it go? And and Alex you turned around and said something to you. We all know we're chatting as you guys were about to let you away. Do you remember yeah. that moment? We're chatting, <laughs> chatting, chatting. Yeah, yeah, and he's just giving me this little bit of a. Um, was I it like if it was a little whistle, catching the throat like, <clears throat> like this. <clears throat> Yeah, and he's like, "What have we got here?" I'm like, "Oh yeah, right. Okay, Sorry. Let's get, so see if we can go and get Alex onto a fish, sort of thing." And you know, Alex doesn't have opportunity to to run like any sonars really because he's you know spends a lot of time on foot on the bidgey there. Um, but he was really quite engrossed to watch the fish behaviour and things like that, and he was straight back on to scanning for a fish. And um, you know, and the the, the times. Ticking, ticking, ticking. Eleven, to, quarter past eleven. Pretty close. Half past eleven. Oh, uh, I think it was probably yeah, half past eleven. I think is when yeah we sort of spot this fish. And again, it was one of those marks that was sort of moving through the bottom. I said, look, mate, send a lure out there. This fish is on the bottom. Let it sink all the way down and roll through. And I think when you rewatch the footage, you actually hear me say, just roll through there, mate. Anyway, I'm actually looking to see because I'm by this stage really determined to get Alex onto a fish as well. I'm looking to see if I can see a lure or if I can see a fish, and he's on. Yep, on, got him. Yes. And he loads into this fish really, really good, and I'm just elated. That's, I mean, by far the, the, the capture of the, um, the the moment of the trip for me, for sure. Um, it was a good stoush too. It was a good fight from that fish, and, yeah, slide the net under, and, oh, mate, I was stoked for 84, it. was it? That one? Pretty sure. Yeah, we, I think it was. Yeah, because yeah. we got a pair yeah. of 83s mm. earlier in the day between Adam and Graham. Yeah. Rollbacking, Shim yep. got an 86 and then that 84. So 
that was four eighties mm-hmm. for the morning. That morning was. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yep. What a moment, hey! What a moment. Yeah, yeah. Do you have one? Uh, I got multiple. I, I can't go past mm-hmm. Matty Mildred's one eleven. I think I said it in the video Mini. that we uh, we put together. <laughs> So Mildred's been, yeah. oh, he's been chasing a big fish for some time. He has caught a metery before many years ago, about three years ago now, four years ago, I think. Uh, but since yeah. riding and doing all these trips and really pushing himself for that winter cod thing, he's come close with two ninety eights. He got ninety eight on the Ghost yeah. Fury at Burren Jack, and he got ninety eight last Wangler trip, the final yeah. morning, which is as good as a metery, but it's not. Yeah, it's yeah. not hang the lure yeah. on the wall situation. Um, yeah, yeah. But he's 98. Yeah. That white fury he's thrown around to the cows come over. It's got teeth marks all over it from the 98 and other <laughs> fish. And he's fished it so much. Anyway, yeah. it's actually the first trip him and I did. Like first time we've actually fished together in the boat. We've been on the ovens drift. We've been mm-hmm. on the Bigi together in different boats. We've been at Wangler, different boats. Um, and yeah, yeah we, we went out and some good lessons in this one. He, not long... Like after we started to get going, we started to fish. We're, we're there casting and bang, fish grabs, whack, missed. You know when the fish eats and it's gone before yep. you realize? That's what he said to me. Yeah. So yep. I watched it and it's like bang, it hit and then the strike came and it was like floppy strike. Like it just didn't have – like it was, he stopped. <laughs> like the strike there. didn't yep. go anywhere because like, oh, he was already gone. Like he was gone before right. I could like yep. – like as I went to strike, there was nothing. So I just didn't commit to the strike. Yeah. Now, if you are listening yep. to this episode, it does not matter how the fish hits. You never undercommit the strike and this is just learning and Matt knows this now. I explained it to him. You strike because that will give you practice. Yeah. That will give you practice for the moments that do matter. If you feel bump, you strike and if your strike ends up here and you're like, oh, I had nothing the whole time, at least you committed to the strike. If you can, mm-hmm. If you half commit to the strike... It means you weren't ready to swing to start with. Do you reckon? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So that's what yep, the... F- he's missed his fish and he's gutted because it's a big fish. Um, he's like, oh, mm. what happened? And he's like, oh, I didn't actually say what happened. He said, oh, just, it wasn't there. It just wasn't there. Like, well, yep. you got to strike. Like, you got to really swing. And his swing was to the side. But anyway, that was one moment, all good. Um, mm-hmm. Literally five minutes later, he gets cracked by an even bigger fish. <laughs> <laughs> oh, same thing happens nothing he like bang I, and this time I saw the fish turn and I looked at his rod tip because it was above my eye line I literally looked up and I watched the rod go whack like I watched it pull tight yep. and then oh yep. no and he's can't wait I haven't watched the footage yet Um, he's gutted <laughs> as yeah. that fish is missed too I was like righto we have got to change something you cannot miss two in a row yep. something's wrong mm-hmm. and this is something yep you never ever if you make a mistake in life or anything fishing included learn what went wrong what can I fix there's something went wrong something and even if you covered everything try and learn something from it maybe it was a little bit unlucky um, like the two that you dropped like the fact he's whacked it you've struck you've loaded it was just because you never set the hooks when you probably should have a few moments earlier but initially still might not have but that's what you've learned from that it's like oh right I really need to concentrate next time any bump you swing that's a lesson there. Not that it would have probably made a difference in your situation. I said to Matt that you cannot miss two like that. I said, first of all, you're not swinging hard enough. You've got to swing harder. Second of all, I'm like, because you can tell someone to swing harder, but it's a practice. It's an art to swing and strike hard. But by swing hard, like we mean strike hard. So in the moment, he's not going to fix that. If he gets another hit tonight, he's not going to fix that 
swing instantly. He might swing a little bit better, but it's still not going to be totally fixed. So I thought if you don't swing, and Alex says this yeah. too, because Alex struggles with striking, he runs a really fast yep. action stiff rod. It helps with mm-hmm. setting the hooks rather than a floppy soft rod that you could swing yep. till the cows come home and not snap 10-pound fluoro. It's the other yeah. it's the other end of the scale. So he Alex Fisher was a sharper, faster rod. So I said to Matt, we're swapping your rods. I'm giving you a seven-foot rod. It's easier to control. It's easier to swing and strike with. And it's a, yep. it's a fast action rod. I'm going to put that on your... I'm going to grab my rod and you're going to use this. The reel as well, high retrieve yep. ratio reel. I said, you're going to run this as well. Because that way he can pick up line quicker when it eats. So one turn of the handle is helping with mm-hmm. the strike. So there's two things we've solved. We changed the rod and the reel first. So the other thing... Feel his hooks. If it was mine personally, I would all... And he did. And you feel your hooks before you cast your lure on every session and during the session. Matt actually sat at camp yep. that Arvo, didn't he? Changing hooks yep. on his swim baits, yep. his surface lures, brand new hooks. But he didn't consider to change hooks yep. on the Fury because it's rigged. It's got intricate details. It's got a, a braided, yeah, tied okay. line. And I think it's oh, it's too much effort. I think the same. Like, yeah, it's too yep. much effort. Yep. I have multiple of them yeah, yeah. in my box. If one's not sharp, Chuck yep. to the bottom of the box, pick up a sharp one on the trip. When I get home, pull the hooks off, re-rig it. It's the only way. Yeah. It is the only way. The yeah, sharp, right. the hooks yep. were good. They weren't perfect. I remember Matt sent me a text. I don't know. I read. I think Jimmy read it on the way home. Matt sent me a text on the way home, and he goes, "That moment when you said, oh, your sharp, your hooks are good, but not not awesome.' He's like, it was like a dad moment. Going, I'm not angry. I'm just disappointed." <laughs> <laughs> He'll laugh listening back to this. Oh, wow. That's what it was like. He's like, yeah, oh, that's nice. what I felt like. Yeah, like, yeah. I didn't mean it like that, Matt. Yeah. But um, yeah, sharp hooks yeah. are important. So uh, we literally, in yeah. prime time, was literally chewing up prime time and I knew it was. I was like, yeah. mate, we've got we to gotta tweak this. So change the rod. And because normally I would just pull out a brand new lure and tie it on, but he had a score yep. to settle with that white ghost fury, which Alex named Millie, oh, yes. Millie Vanilli. Yeah, the, uh, yes. the the Matt Mildred Ghost White, which is now hanging on his wall. Yeah, yeah. I changed the hooks. I literally undid the hooks, like undid the split ring, pulled two off my other one, put them on because I had the braided line, looped yep. it on, did it really quick. Matt, I let Matt tie it on. I'm pretty sure I let Matt tie it on. I don't tie someone else's lure on. Yeah, Matt tied his lure on. Um, right, we're back into yep. it. Literally, yeah. You couldn't have asked for any more luck. A monster cod, way bigger than the other two, way bigger, like. 10 centimeters big, I reckon. Uh, yeah, it just... It's same as yours. We, yeah. we found it. We cast, couldn't see Lua, couldn't see anything. And he was just like, oh, yep, yeah, on, on. Yeah. And I sat there for about five seconds. Yep, got him. Got I was like, you got him? Yep, yep. I'm like, okay, I'll get up now. Run to grab the net. <laughs> I remember when it hit the net, he goes, oh, I'm good to see me FG not held up. I'm like, that's my FG not, mate. That's my rod. <laughs> Actually, I think he picked up on that. He's yeah, like, "Oh no, it's not. It's your FG not." But anyway, um, stuck yeah, hooks right. in a one eleven. Uh, the the yeah, footage is yeah. priceless. Uh, the excitement for for Matt. I oh, just was stoked to be there for him. I think he was super stoked to have caught it uh, with me as well, yeah. which I feel privileged. Yep. Yeah, one eleven. Yep. Huge lessons. Huge lessons, and also a fair bit of relief for Matt because he did not mm. want to come back to camp and say he missed two meter cod he was fretting it yeah, he was not right. <laughs> big fight big fights t- took him to the bottom um, in eight meters just ran he couldn't get it up I, I called it for 120 when it hit the net ended up being 111 but it was 
a barrel yeah. of a fish, um, huge Six fish, feet, yeah. yeah, bigger than my one. Yeah, that would be the moment, uh, as well as all the stuff back at camp, the funny stuff. Jake's note, how good was Jake's note? Because there's no service. Yes, yeah, that was yeah, really funny. So you can't uh, call, can't yeah, text. Nice way to. So we got this big yeah, no. note on the back of a receipt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Talking all about his encounter that didn't go down his way either. Did I actually don't know why it was his fault. Why was it? I don't even know. I'm not sure. That we got to the bottom of that story, actually. Anyway, it was the last morning. He dropped the big fish close to 120. Uh, and I know that Matt was there. Matt said he had to pick him up off the deck and say, mate, keep casting. Mm. It happened to me. Like, the yeah. night before, just keep casting. Um, yeah. Another moment of my trip, lesson-wise, uh, which is really good to share, was Chris's bust-off. I've never seen a fish go yep. pop that quick. Do you watch the footage? The rod nearly cracks him in the uh, face. It, it, it's almost, yeah, it's like bang straight up to his nose. It must have been millimetres short of hitting him in the forehead, I reckon. Oh, he swung. Yeah. That was how you strike. Perfect yeah. strike, everything. Yeah, yeah. We worked out afterwards yeah. that it was the drag was just a fraction too tight. Well, it was too tight, um, especially when you got a fast, yeah. long eight-foot rod. You can strike really well. Um, yeah, it was just too tight. Yeah. I felt mine. Mine were quite firm. Adam's yeah. were even lighter than mine. I'm like, well, yeah, it's definitely okay. the drag. So that was the lesson. We, we kind yeah. of, we went, Adam, can we feel? Funny thing was, Adam goes, and we saw him that night, come around I mean, an hour later in the boat. He's like, yeah, I picked up Chris's rod this morning when he was in my boat. And I thought the drag was a bit tight. Oh, like, no, that's right. Thanks, mate. <laughs> Could have told you this morning. Don't say that now. But. Don't say that now. He's yeah. learnt a lesson I think maybe overthinking yeah. it at the minute, but once he gets back into his groove of chasing yeah. Todd, it, it won't be an overthinking. It'll be right. I know what my drag is now. I've learnt my lesson. That's what I said to him. So you can't fret on that moment. Yeah. Even though that fish was probably a PB, it was a giant fish. Uh, you've lost it. Yeah. What's the lesson? Yeah. He might now yeah. hook yeah. multiple cod down the future. They'll all stay on and he'll land them all. So Yeah, yeah. And he's got to swing exactly the same the next time. Just have his drag set a little bit better. That's the hard it was part. A good swing. It was a good hook set. That's the hard part though, mm. because he'll go, "Oh, did I strike Don't too hard?" In back of the head, yeah. and then the next strike will be a light drag, no strike, missing fish. Um, so yeah, yep. strike was really good. Uh, mm. Any any mm. other standout moments for you, mate? That uh, were a good laugh. Oh, by the way, what's with uh, the flamingos yeah. behind you? We probably should have started yeah. with that because people are probably watching this video going, "What?" What is going hell? on behind yeah, Dan? Yeah. Why is this a fishing podcast with Flamingo? Mm -hmm. I, I, that was going to be my next moment right there. Right, run us through. Can you tell the Absolute, backstory and then the absolutely story? Absolutely stitched up. Uh, <laughs> so it is a bit of a story that started uh, well, a few years ago now, actually. Um, I was gifted a pink flamingo garden ornament um, by my sister-in-law, Um you know, which was, you know, all good and funny at the time. Unfortunately for me, it has then become a bit of a thing. So next birthday comes around, some other pink flamingo, something <laughs> shows up. I now have a pair of pink flamingo cotton shorts. Yeah, you probably shouldn't have wore them fishing because you just stitch yourself up. Um, no, I do wear them because, like I said, I've got those pockets and I put my hand warmers in the pockets inside my, um, you know... There's Can a, you run through that, that trick, madness. actually? Anyway. You talked about the main artery yeah. or vein that runs yep. up from yep. your legs runs... to your body, runs on the inside of your yep. leg, and you actually put hand warmers inside yep. the pockets of your shorts, and it actually keeps your body yes. way warm. Makes a huge difference. It's so simple. It's such a simple little trick. You don't notice them in there. 
well, you do notice them because you can feel the warmth in there, but there's no bulk or anything to them. Um, but yeah, dead set, I've, wear, I've got a pair of thermals that I put on. I've got these cotton shorts with just pockets in them. And just the heat sort of in that area from the, the hand warmers in the pockets, it just means it keeps that section of your body um, where that big vein's running up on the inside of your legs really, really toasty warm. And that transfers right through your whole body. It's a, it's a really nifty trick for when it's actually proper cold to, um, yeah, to help stay warm. So that's where the flamingo shorts come into it. This behind me here, which I did put up as the backdrop on purpose today, um, which, yes, I'm sure everybody's going, what the hell is that? Um, it's actually a piece of fabric that Karen organised to decorate my swag with. So we're back at camp, and I get the question from Jimmy, hey, Dan, what, you know, what swag are you running? I'm thinking of getting a bigger one, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, yeah, mate, no, come and have a look. Get over there, and I'm like, there's this you know, string of flamingo decorations on the outside. Like, Jimmy, what the hell's this? Like, what's what's going on here? <laughs> anyway, next thing I know, I turn around and I've got Reese, Karen, Jimmy. There's a GoPro mounted up on the toolbox of my ute and I'm just going, oh no. Unzip it. There's two fluffy pink flamingos. That fabric, like completely like a bed sheet over my swag, my sleeping bag, my pillow. And there's a bloody glowing pink flamingo with lights on it <laughs> in the corner. And I, honestly, I had absolutely no idea. I honestly don't know that I've ever been stitched up quite so tightly before in my life. All in video. Really, really well executed. And it is all recorded and will, yeah, it'll have its place in the upcoming video from that trip, I'm sure. And I actually haven't fully explained this to my wife and kids what actually happened. I said, no, you're going to have to wait till the video comes out uh, to watch it because I don't think I'll actually do the stitch up justice um, no, you know, for what it was, so yeah, you'll have to yes. watch it. So, anyway, be in the vlog video that we that's published. the story, and that's the reason for the uh, for the background. I'm glad you're uh, uh, you're uh, carrying it forward, mate, and uh, embracing it on the wall. I don't Not think there's away. ever gonna be any getting away from it, mate. Um, I thought it was actually dying off a little bit. I thought I was, it was starting to simmer out a bit. I wasn't seeing so many uh, pink flamingo things pop up in my life. Um, but I think now the I'm definitely going to be stuck with it. it now. <laughs> yeah. oh, that was the moment of the trip yeah. uh, as well as the other one. Yeah. It's a funny moment. But um, thanks to Karen for that because I actually yeah. had the idea and then getting mm -hmm. towards it, I was like too busy and I didn't buy anything and it was too late. And she's like, oh, I've actually got yeah. all this pink flamingo stuff because my kids like it. I was like, you beauty. So she decorated yeah. it that night, come in early from the session, uh, had it there. Nearly, You nearly saw it a few times because you walked over to your car. Yeah, I did. Yeah, um, I don't know how I didn't see it. And I'm probably, yeah, that's why I feel even more stitched up, I reckon, because I walked back and forth. I think I got a beer out or a drink or something and no idea. Didn't even see it until Jimmy sort of wanted to have a look at how big my swag was. <laughs> awesome. Um, can you run us through the, the... I remember filming you last year at Wyangler and we did a video. Remember yep. the video we did before we went out, like before we fished that night, the first mm -hmm. night session, it was just you and I and I was filming you along that rock wall yep. and I actually captured it in the video and yep. published it. You know how you were tying on the Fury and you're like, I kind mm -hmm. of like concentrated on how they... Do you remember that line? You're like, I, I really just focused on how actually, how they swim through their water and they do everything you want to do. I think that was the first sort of period yep. that we started to crack onto how well the line through version of it worked. They're designed like that. Yes. They are actually designed like that. We tweak them a tiny bit, but not yep. really all that much. And 
Yep. That, it, it, you were lucky. And then it's a year later. Wyangla, they all fish that were caught on furies were caught on line through because fish were shallow. The mm-hmm. entire trip, they're shallow. They're up high in the water column. It's a given for winter cod in most places. Shallow is where you find your active yep. fish because that's where the food source goes to find warmth and to hide. Mm-hmm. That's where the big cod go to find the food. Yep. They're like, where is this food? It's not deep. It's up high. Plus, they go there for warmer water as well. We see them sunning themselves in the daytime. A lot of them were just hanging out in the sunlight in the daytime, whether they were feeding yep. or not at Wyangla. But can yep. you run us through why you like the Fury? We'll just talk about it now, why it works so well, yep. how we fished it. Uh, we actually tweaked it again yep. um, and it swam even mm. better for that application. But it, it's it's not... I, I can't think of another soft plastic that you can fish higher like a swim bait. When you, when you get to that top meter of water, it's swim bait territory or top yeah, water. it's tricky. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, generally because you know the plastics don't have enough resistance to actually hold themselves up quite so high, plus the weight thing. And normally um, they're going to jig yeah, head, the don't they? Just, that's right. Yeah, the line through thing. When I first seen that, I think might have been with you up at Burrenjark. I don't know how long ago that was. Now was that when we were on the phone that season? night to Hocko? And that no, was two years ago. Could have been. And we had him on speaker all night. It might have been that night. Yeah, yeah. and we pushed it, yeah. and we went too late, and it was late getting home. It was, yeah. Uh, but from that, I actually then had a couple of the line throughs kicking around the box and I would actually go and throw them in the daytime and I just loved the way they track and the way they reacted so much more naturally to a pause. They don't have that sort of quite... They've sort of got a different attitude in the water when you pause them. They sort of you know, stay a little bit more level. Um, so from there, I've just basically built on... I had... An instance um, in March where I actually put an extra weight in the Fury. I've also played around with cutting the weight in half and following from the recent trip, and it's something that I wish I actually had have done because it probably would have made fishing a little bit easier for me, is take the weight out altogether. And that really, really changes <coughs> yeah. just how effective that line-through setup is for fishing super, super shallow. And I think it's you need to have them in your box in each different configuration ready to roll rather than being out in the water and going, I'm going to pull a weight out of this one. Yeah. From now on, I'll actually have in my Fury kit, it'll be line through unweighted, line through half weighted, line through full weighted. Um, and then you'd probably roll into a jig head style from there probably. So did you notice um, the difference between yeah, half but, and full? Sorry, keep going with what you're saying. No, no. Yeah, look, there definitely is. It's probably not as, obviously not as extreme as taking the weight out altogether. Yep. And I think even the difference between a half a weight and no weight is is quite significant as well. I didn't think it would be. Um, it just allows you... Yeah, it's it's kind of interesting. Um, and I, I just think the ability to actually slow roll your lure and still keep it high is, is massively important. Um, and it's something that you'd really struggle with if you were running a full weight. I mean, some of those fish are up in a couple of metres of water, um, you know, only sitting sort of a metre down. You can't fish anything like I, I don't have any other plastic in my kit that would effectively swim like that. Yep. Um, the line through thing with no weight doesn't. It's still stable. It's still stable in the water. Doesn't roll over or anything like that. It's still really really effective. So um, that's actually something that I look forward to running through, like running the rest of winter. Like I really want to sort of try and key in that. Like even at my home lake at Barrenjack, spend a bit more time fishing that really really shallow stuff. Um, just 
fishing that top meter of the water column. It's pretty cool. So we we fished them. They obviously designed line through. They're about 110 grams, and then you you gram your weight in. It's only eight grams. But the difference between fishing yep. it with the weight or not is huge. Now they're designed with yeah. the weight to be fished in them as a line through. You literally they come with a treble. They come with a weight. You put the line through the nose. I've got one yep. here. You put the line. Obviously, if you're listening to this podcast, you won't see it. So there is a video available. You put the line through the nose, uh, and there's mm-hmm. a weight in there. And you pull it through, and you can tie your hook straight to it. If you do go to fish it straight out of the packet, which I actually recommend doing, especially since we know how mm-hmm. well cod eat these uh, on the head, is you only need that treble at the front. Yeah. I would literally tie to a solid ring and then split ring on a hook. And you literally, your hook will then dangle a bit it. and it will free swing rather than getting jammed mm-hmm. up with the line. You can even use two split yeah, that's rings. That's a good... Sorry, that's a good tip for anyone who's sort of worried about not not knowing how to do that 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 line through rigging. twin hook setup that we do. Yep. The rigging that we do with the two hooks. Um, yeah, fish them out of the packet, like you said. Solid ring, split ring, hook. That hook is actually the only most... That's the most important hook position, that one at the front. So what? It's a yeah, really good idea. Nine out of ten, more people. Fourteen out of fifteen will hook uh, on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right on that front hook. So you can put the treble straight in there, uh, but literally all you have to do is buy yourself a packet of solid rings and a packet of split rings. The reason I would recommend a solid yeah. ring is you tie straight to that. You got no issues there. You can tie straight to a split ring. The split ring can slip off. Highly unlikely on fifty pound leader. So you probably yeah, get away not, with it. Yeah. Solid ring. Yeah, I think you'd get away with it. Split ring to that. So two split rings or a solid ring and a split ring and that will allow your hook to just sit there and swing. Then when they suck it in, it's got movement, it'll grab. I would happily fish it. I'll probably yep. fish a lot like that moving forward. And that comes like mm-hmm. that in the packet, ready to go. You just, like I said, need a split ring. The other option is we've got a rigging video inside the membership which allows us to pretty much bridle rig or just add another hook with a centering pin, a corkscrew, and have it at the back here. So you've got a treble at the back, it's got braid, or you could yep. use wire if you want it. I find the braid heaps quicker to tie, attached to the front one, and we actually put a centering pin there, and then that actually helps our hook yep. to sort of just dangle there. You don't even need the centering pin, you can do exactly what I just explained by having that hook there. The other good thing about that is if they do eat, it will slide up the line, and it will give them no leverage mm. to actually throw the hook, uh, which is a good option. The yep. way we do it with the two centering Absolutely. pins... When we put the two centering pins in, they've got leverage, but most time they hook pretty well yep. if you keep tension. But I think it is yep. the fact that it's quite a wide plastic, it's resistance. With Let's talk about it with just the lead weight in like this, fishing mm-hmm. it line through the lead weight. I find that ideal yep. from fishing to about four meters deep and it will track at about yep. a meter and a half. Do you find? If mm-hmm. you cast, click, slow yeah. roll... I find it will track yep. at a meter and a half. So if you're in three meters of water and you fish a mid-water column, perfect. Even shallower. We've caught them yep. shallower. Perfect. It, yeah. It, yep. It's only really when we found them at Wyangler the other day when they were literally between a foot and a meter under that this ended up rolling mm-hmm. into their head at a meter or a bit deeper. Yeah. You pull yep. the lead weight out, but you do have to put a centering yep. pin in because you need something to fix it to. Otherwise, your hook will slide up yes. and get jammed and pull out the nose. So, you need a centering pin, which is like a little corkscrew pin with a split ring. You literally pull the lead weight out, put it through the nose, split ring on that front one. You can have the two hooks again, similar or one, and yep. you basically cast that out. The only thing is you can't roll it too quickly because it'll blow out, but you want to roll slow. Mm-hmm. That's the whole point. You want to be just yeah, tracking right. it. Yep. 
and it will track. I watched it the other day. It's the first time I've actually tried it because they're not designed like that. Mm. It tracked that far under. Yeah. The whole way. Yeah. And it's a soft yep. plastic that weighs Which 100 is, grams. It doesn't. If you didn't see it for yourself, you wouldn't believe it because it's, yeah, it's fairly weighty in the hand. But it, they do. They track high. And if if you are casting it and it's blowing out, it's rolling on its side, you're probably winding too fast anyway. So Yeah. So there's yeah. that option. So for super, super, super shallow and the fish are feeding right up high, pull the lead weight out. Your biggest all-rounder yep. for winter Definitely. is line through. And then after that, when I'm fishing mm-hmm. deeper than four meters consistently, like in winter, if the fish are going from two to three to four to five, it's line through territory. But in that period of the year, yep. like uh, when you and Paul and I fished, I think, when did we go? April? Yes. April in, to Burrenjuk. April. They were from yep. four to six to seven, back up to four kind of zone. If the fish are constantly yeah. doing that, I'm like, well, I can get away with a five, eight ounce jig head. Um, Yep. which is what I run and I've caught a lot on 5 8 you get, especially when you're trying to mm-hmm. find them and they're moving around quickly. Uh, but if you're just casting an edge yeah. in the winter, line through uh, and a yep. jig head for warmer months, fishing a rocky wall. But they accounted for all but four of the fish, so nine of the fish on the trip. Mm-hmm. They did get cast, obviously, yep. the most by far. But did you notice anything with yes. the swim bait situation that I noticed with Graham in that morning session? Did you uh, yeah, have the same problem? Yeah, we sort of noticed a lot of fish that were... Yeah, we had fish that were spooking to them. Um, I personally only threw one swim bait, which was a Gania, so a slimline uh, swim bait, and I spooked one fish with it, and I actually didn't fish it again because it was a really quite an obvious spooking on a really good presentation. So yep. the lure was running quite high across this fish. Yep. I didn't run it into him. It wasn't too close. It was probably a good metre above him, and the fish spooked, and that, that was it for me. Swim baits went away uh, just off the back of that one fish. Just because I know how natural that, that the the fury presentations are, so um, and you know you had the same experience. I think some of the other guys said the same thing, um, where where the the fish were just spooking from them, flat out spooking. They were scared of the noise that they were making through the water. So um, that's probably where the the, the furies reigned uh, supreme over the top of them. So because because um, if you, you started, you've seen a couple though. Yeah, so if you started to see fish spooking on the Fury as well, then you'd probably go yep. back to a swim bait again and try yep. that and try mix it up. But yeah, absolutely. I never had them spooked yep. to a soft plastic yep. at all. Uh, they never, like, they just no. ignored it. If they didn't want to eat it, they ignored it. They didn't actually yep. bolt. We had three. Graham had three in a row yep. in a very short period. Yeah, just, right. He had a tap on it. He had yeah, a tap okay. on the Gania, yep. just casting an edge, okay. probably a smaller fish. Yep. Um, yep. Spook, spook. Uh, another spook and we come up to this other fish and I go, yep, right, I cast again. I'm like, actually, don't even worry about it because we cast again here first and then yeah. throw the plastic. I said, don't even worry. I put it down, yep. throw the fury, first cast, turned around and grabbed it. Yep. Um, Bang. But you yeah. had a few other soft plastics rigged up too because we obviously, there's more soft plastics that suit different yep. situations. Like if we talk about the river si- situation that we've had over the last little bit, you would have heard Alex talking about those cast plastics, completely ideal for rigged weedless, unbelievable where the Fury doesn't suit that. They're more of a shallow water, not great in the river. I'd actually fish it without a weight in the river up high. Um, that'd be unreal for that. Just not good in the timber. Not rigged, per- not perfect weedless because they're so wide-bodied. Um, you actually had the cast rigged up, the big one for that trip, but it just didn't come into its situation because it's on a jig head um, and the fish Yeah, too that's deep. right. Not too shallow. So it was on a half ounce... Yeah, half ounce jig head with a big two O hanging off the front, and it wanted to track. Even you know, cast in, click, roll straight away. It's tracking at two meters, and that was 
quite often too deep. And that's uh, on a recent, even, like a decent roll. If you were to slow it down, it'd get th- it'd go to three, wouldn't it? It'd want to drop. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. That wasn't even on a dead slow roll either. That was it was you know a, a steady slow roll. I suppose you could call it just a little bit quicker than I actually wanted it to be. Um, and so yeah, I didn't end up uh, fishing that lure much at all. Um, which is a bit of a shame because they are a really, really good plastic and they've got a you know a really big thumping uh, tail on them um, and it would be nice to get something you know a bit of variation out there. But um, and I probably could have mucked around with with a different rigging style as well. But um, the Furies are just deadly for it. So yeah, that's why I sort of stuck with that. Plus I do have a bit of a score to settle uh, with that particular Fury that I was running on that trip. So um, you know, I, yeah. I'll be running that one on every trip now until I get to hang it up on the wall behind me because it's been a bit of a nemesis, that one. What uh, is a bit of a summary if someone's heading to Wyangla? Uh, the, give us your yep. top two things and then I'll share my top two. Just a bit of a summary on what it's like at the minute and what, what it will, how you would fish it uh, over the winter time this year. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so uh, I'd be fishing nice and shallow. What is shallow? In the mornings. What is shallow? Um no more than three meters of water. Um, is that depth or is that actually depth? Yes. Yep. So no, no. I'll be. You could probably push out to say four meters, but a lot of those fish that are when they're actively feeding are probably even up in two meters of water, up on those stinky looking carp flats. Yep. Uh, they're up there feeding, and I'd be fishing no deeper than two meters, and I'd actually be happy to go out there and fish every single lure in my kit at less than a meter from the surface. Even if you're um, in four meters, all those prop. Yeah, it wouldn't matter. Those proper active fish are the ones that are up cruising um, really high and you're going to be fishing under a lot of fish if you don't fish that way because that's where we found and we found a lot of the fish were sitting, I don't know, what, two metres above? Most, yeah. Uh, most, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, just fishing shallow in the water column regardless of your actual water depth. Yep. Um, and... Yeah, definitely bait concentrations. And I'll probably flip back like to the start of the conversation we talked about, oh, you know, the weather's rubbish, that this is going to be really tough. You can sort of get in your head and go, well, you know what, it's just going to be tough. What we done was sort of drove, push through that, and then we start finding the bait concentrations. Then the fish started rolling. We could have quite easily spent our time in the wrong area um, thinking that it's just tough right throughout the whole dam. It actually was a lot better in certain spots um, compared to others. And so, you know, I think that's really important to, you know, hop around, find those productive sort of areas, which can move from session to session. So you've got to be quite adaptive and quite, um, you know, within your own head, you've got to be quite um, able, keen, I don't know what the actual word is, um, to, to move around to find those sort of spots. Don't just get fixated on this is the bank that's going to work, this is you know, the point or whatever it might be, you've got to be quite adaptive. Yes, I'm going to add to that. You know how you're talking about moving? What I found was that once we started to learn, it was like, all right, let's go try a completely different part of the lake. It's like, well, actually, let's not because we'd have to start fresh again. Yeah. When you talk about move, it's move in that vicinity. Now, that vicinity was a fair few Ks up and down river. Like, it was probably, you know, up the arm and down the arm, maybe five, six Ks one way and 10, yeah. 15 Ks the other way. Yeah, yeah. But once we started to crack it, it's yeah. moved from that point to 100 or 500 meters back around the bank to that other. It's breaking it down into like a micro um, 
yeah. and working out where they are in that area. If they're completely void and you've worked that out in the first two sessions, then go start somewhere else yep. fresh. And this is why we're able to learn. Fish got caught on that second session. Yeah. So they were there. It was yep. just move yeah, around yeah, until right. you worked that out. I actually, actually fished the same bank four out of the six sessions. Four out of six sessions because mm-hmm. first session, wrong. Actually, it was in the same session. First session, I was, I was in a different spot. Yep. Second session, I was in one spot. Halfway through, I moved. But I was literally only a K yeah. away from where I ended up catching at meter 15. And then once we worked that out, as the session progressed, we all sort of fished sort of that close area and we actually worked out the next day. The mm-hmm. fish had swapped over. They're on the opposite bank. They're on the opposite bank the next yeah. day and then they were there the day after. Yeah. And that's where Jimmy yeah. dropped the fish, fish in 91, which I want to ask you about in a second. Yeah. But I like that. I like that lesson yeah. of don't let the wind uh, the wind or the weather bat defeat you. Keep moving till you find fish. Yeah. My tip for why angler yep. would be the water is filthy, still fish in it. They are still going to chew. Yep. They are used to that. But just remember the fish aren't, mm-hmm. haven't got as much sense to find food from a far distance. Yeah. Either that or there's too much food in there. They're not traveling a huge distance to eat or it was the fact that there was a low barometer while we were there. They will still eat subtle presentations. Don't be afraid yep. to still throw a swim bait though because if you fish a swim, mm-hmm. swim bait in a plastic in tandem, on that certain session, high yep. barometer, you may get good responses from a swim bait. Uh, and last of all, yeah. for what I pretty well, that's pretty much it. There's a couple of tips there. Um, high barometer, no, and, high and barometer. That swim bait thing, yeah, I think that swim bait thing is important too, um, just for people not to write it off altogether if they are listening to this because I sort of find when they are chewing better, when your barometer and your weather is better, your, your swim bait can actually um, get a really, really good response. It could have just been the weather pattern that we were fishing on meant they weren't as keen and so those more subtle sort of soft plastic more natural presentation the plastic was doing better where you know if conditions were a bit better they really were on the chew they might travel actually a little bit further to track down and and eat a swim boat so i don't know it's the whole don't get fixated just on the one thing i suppose to finish us off uh i just want to mention that we filmed a heap of content while we're there jimmy yourself and i we filmed a top retrieve video for cod uh what retrieves Mm -hmm. we use for chasing murray cod in the winter and the summer all the different retrieves we run through a little discussion on the feeding banks versus resting banks where the fish move and how they move and we actually use the scenario example there we put the drone up we filmed the spot and we showed what we actually learned Uh, there's obviously the trip report as well one of my favorite What's that? One of my favourite chats. Do you like that, that one? That was one of my favourite chats, that one. Yeah, just off the cuff. It was really good because it was, I mean, it was really on point and uh, I think we we all sort of stood around and confirmed each other's ideas, which is really, really cool. Right, yeah, that was a good okay. one. Sorry. I'll That's all right. That one's got really good, really good info. Obviously, the trip report, which I put together, yep. took a few days, but it's got where we camped, all the different banks we fished, mm. how they produced, photos of those spots, the techniques we used, the lures the fish were caught yep. on what sizes, uh, everything, lessons, the whole lot, huge yeah. trip report. Yep. If you had a read last year's from inside the membership, the same again, but even slightly bigger again, everything you need for Wyangler. But also yeah. you could apply it to other lakes as well for winter fishing. That's Definitely. all in the membership, all of that, plus a stack of videos coming up. Can you tell me about your biggest fish of the trip? And then I'll, I'll share mine and then that will, that'll do us for this ad. Yep. So, because yours... Really, really cool. There'll actually be a YouTube video of your catch yeah. as well, which was... I remember watching it from about 100 meters. It was, yeah, pretty epic. It was. It was um, my biggest fish of the trip, my second fish for the trip, um, up really, really shallow. And so, basically, I had to high stick um, the Fury, line through Fury, really, really high, and then just... 
basically cranking high with a high speed reel, let it drop down, um, you know, at about the right time that, you know, I sort of worked out. And the fish crunches it and boils on the surface straight away. Yes. And it's probably one of the hardest fighting fish um, that I've come across for quite some time. At 91 centimetres, it fought like it really went hard. It had me sort of under the boat and... Oh, really good. Yeah, really, really good. So that was a great way to finish my trip off and super, super shallow. Um, Jimmy had lost one just beforehand and I remember saying to G- uh, to Justin at the time who I was fishing with, Jimmy's going to nail one here because these fish are super, super shallow. It wasn't even dark. It was, what, 8.30 in the yeah, morning, something like 8:00, that? Yeah, 8 o'clock, yep. Uh, yeah, and they were still right up because it was overcast, but they were still right up on those shallow flats feeding on those carp and that was, that was a good eat. That was a good eat, that one. And... Following that, I ended up with that meter 15 at the start of the trip. Yeah. It was yep. epic. I was with Graham. I actually saw that. We were working this edge. We were just casting the edge and I, I just mm. saw this shape literally touching the surface, literally touching the top of the screen. I was like, you can hear it in the video. I'm like, yep. that's either two carp or a massive cod. Mm. Cast over it, not really concentrating. Mm. High stick, like full high stick. The lure goes over its yep. back over its back and then as it goes over its back it spooked down I'm like oh it's a cod drop the rod start winding yeah. but he lights back up and turns back up bang on all happened like boom 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 on yeah. yep. got him <laughs> massive boil on the surface he's literally on the surface like he may have eaten a surface lure yeah. if he was hungry enough but then again yep. sometimes those fish spook to surface lures they don't actually want to eat a surface lure so I'm glad I threw a plastic at it grabbed it it was yep. tense because I'm into it and I didn't slow up you know how you were like oh the net's not ready. I was yeah, into yeah. him. He splashed on the surface. He went around the lecky, buried me under the boat. You watch the video. He like chuffs <laughs> off under the boat that quick that he clips the lecky. I get him back around. Yeah. Sits there for a bit, put him in the net, cracking fish. So Biggest fish of the trip. Yes, it was by one that centimeter. Meter 15. Yeah. Fletcher's mm. probably weighed an extra five kilos on mine. Uh, it was a big fish at 114. But yeah. It was a well-built fish. Epic trip. Yeah. Well, thanks for the chat, mate. Uh, that was a yeah. bit of a quick roundup yeah. of why angler, but obviously heaps more details yep. on trip report. The vlog, can't wait to release that. That's going to have some awesome action. Looking forward to that one. Yeah, yeah. There's going to be some good ones in that. Awesome, mate. We'll be back with another episode uh, in the next couple of weeks or maybe in a couple time and you and I'll chat about uh, winter cod techniques, just a general overview of winter cod techniques. But uh, thank you very much. Talk then, mate. See ya.